Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, we're studying the armor of God. Even though no one ever looks at or comments on the sermon title, some weeks I work like really, really hard for a catchy title, and then some weeks you get something like sword, shield, helmet. It's not even in the right order. But that's what we're talking about today. That's a great title. We're talking about those three items, and they come to us beginning in verse 16. Hear now God's word. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's do that now and pray. Lord, you invite us to pray at all times, so we pray now. It feels incredibly hypocritical for me to have spent a week on the battlefield largely dropping weapons and running from the enemy and hiding myself in my own spiritual life and then walk in here and preach boldly from your word to take up these armor and weapons and make a stand. But you delight to do that, Lord. You delight to use broken, sinful people to hear from your word and be changed by it. And so I pray when I preach today, I would preach first to myself for my own courage and then also to us that we might be this kind of people by your power and by your grace and in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I don't know about you all. I can't speak for anybody in here just for myself, but I could not grow squash this summer to save my life. I mean, I just couldn't. I would grow these plants that were big and green and had huge leaves, but they didn't bear any fruits and they would just wilt over time and die. And I was just so frustrated. There were no beetles or bugs that I could see, no aphids. I didn't see any fungi. I didn't see any bacteria. I didn't see any of those things. And I was at my wit's end until my mother gave me the answer, as mothers often do. And she said to me, the issue is calcium. Now, she wasn't saying I didn't have calcium in the soil. Nobody would say that to me, to my face. I've got calcium in the soil, okay? What she was saying was, if you water too much or too little, then the plant can't actually use the calcium that is there in the soil. And she hit me with a vocab word that I've never heard before, but I hope I use it often. She said, the calcium wasn't bioavailable. Isn't that a great word? No hyphen. That's just one lush, beautiful English word. Bioavailable. It was there. It just wasn't available. It was in the soil. My plant just couldn't get to it. And so my squash starved to death sitting at a banquet table. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that the saddest thing you've heard this week? 
Now, I'm being funny about that, but of course I'm illustrating our relationship to the gifts that God gives us, that he freely gives us. He hands us things, and oftentimes we don't pick them up and enjoy them and use them. Now, our thesis last week when we were talking about these six pieces of war gear is that when we talk about these, we are not talking about armor as we may often commonly think, that this armor is our goodness or our performance or it's our sobriety or it's the strength of our spiritual disciplines. These pieces are God's good and gracious gift to us. God is now calling us to put them on, to hold them, to study them, to enjoy them, and to use them. What good is calcium-rich soil if it isn't bioavailable? What good is the armor of God the gift of God's righteousness, the gift of God's faith, the gift of his spirit which comes to us in the word and through prayer, what good are these gifts if we leave them at home hanging in the bedroom closet and we don't put them on? We are talking about putting on, picking up, using what God has freely given to us. And today we want to talk about the shield and the helmet and the sword. Let's look at each of these. Number one, the shield of faith. We'll spend most of our time here. It comes to us in verse 16. Paul actually gives a little extra description about this shield. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, I want to make a side note here because this is just like a working metaphor and different parts of the Bible actually use different pieces of armor aligned with different descriptions, okay? So, like 1 Thessalonians says that faith is our breastplate, not righteousness as a breastplate. Proverbs 30 says that it's God's word that's our shield. It's not faith that is our shield. I want to make that clear to all of us so that we know these aren't technical word pictures. They're just a helpful guide to think about what these things are and how we can use them. I just don't want you to be shocked when you're in a prayer meeting and someone prays for the belt of righteousness from Isaiah chapter 11 and this whole time you thought it was the belt of truth from Ephesians 6. I don't know if you've ever heard people argue in corporate prayer But it's pretty amazing to like sit by and watch, Lord, I thank you that what the last person said isn't true and that our belt is truth and it's not righteousness. If you haven't heard that, I hope you do because it's amazing. But don't do that with these pieces because there are different parts that explain different pieces. But Paul is, is sticking with shield of faith and he wants to visibly illustrate what this is. Paul's world was, of course, first century uh dominated by first century Rome when Rome was the most powerful nation in the world and Roman soldiers at that time had this armor on them including a shield that they would carry. So this is a large shield, it's three feet tall, a foot wide, it covered you from shoulders down to your shins. 
It was made out of several layers of wood, and then it was covered in animal skins, and then it was often bordered in metal, and that was a very important piece of armor that you held, swinging your sword with your right hand, holding your shield in your left hand. Sometimes, enemies would dip their arrows or their javelins into burning pitch, and they would shoot those or throw those at the advancing Roman soldiers. And if you could get a javelin or an arrow to punch through that animal skin and into that wood, you could light the entire shield on fire. And imagine the havoc that that would wreak on a battle line as you're advancing when shields are catching on fire and soldiers are throwing those to the side. That's the picture that Paul is talking about. But he says this shield is special. It's not like the ones you've seen in war. This shield of faith not only blocks flaming arrows, but also extinguishes them. Those arrows, they don't have power here in this place. What's the big deal about faith? Why does Paul make such an elaborate illustration of what faith is and what it can do when we take it up in all circumstances? Faith plays a huge role in the book of Ephesians. Let me just highlight a couple of things that faith is essential for. Number one, faith is the gift by which God saves us. Now there's that important gospel verse, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8. It was our church's memory work. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Some of us interpret the gift to be salvation itself. Like because God offers the gift of salvation, then we go home and we muster as much faith as is possible. And then with all our energy, we believe that thing. And if we do that, have that faith, God will give us the gift of salvation But that is not at all what Paul is saying. He's saying it's not just salvation that's a gift to you. It's actually even the faith that you bring to the table to believe that that salvation is available to you. Even the fact that your heart is warmed towards Jesus and you are willing to trust him, that very thing is itself a gift from God. The faith you possess is not a work that you do. It is holy and truly a gift from God. Faith is a gift that God gives to us so that we turn around and trust him so that he gives us the gift of salvation. All of that is from him and all of that is for our salvation. That's what faith is. Number two, faith is not just when we first believe and trust in Jesus for our salvation, but we also hear that faith is our very communion with Christ. We read this last week in chapter 3, verse 17. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now we said that Paul likes to pray and ask for things that are already ours. We have this salvation. Christ is in our hearts already. But Paul is praying that we would never lose sight of that. That we would know it. That we would feel it. That we would enjoy it. That we would never make little of it. He is praying for that very faith that God gave us. That we will use it to commune with Christ in our friendship with him. Faith saves us. 
Faith lets us grow in our friendship with Jesus. Number three, faith unifies the church. Paul says that God has given the church spiritual gifts to build itself up in the body, chapter 4, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. That means when a church is working properly in love and in unity, we stand together, chapter 4, verse 5, under one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're getting the picture of why faith is so essential to absolutely every aspect of our Christian walk. God gives it to us in the first place. He uses it to save us. He's going to use this faith in our hearts to grow our friendship with Jesus. He's going to continue to use that faith to unite us as a church, grow us up under it in unity. And God is going to use that unity, that faith, that salvation to make this whole corporate body look more and more like his son, Jesus. There is real power here in the gift of faith. Real power that God is going to use. When Satan is tempting us to doubt God's grace towards us, or that Jesus is actually near to us and dwelling in our hearts through faith, or he's trying to instigate conflict in our church body one against another, The shield of faith is God's gift to defend us from him. We pray boldly in faith for God to do his work to bear these fruits in our hearts of assurance and friendship and unity. That's the shield of faith. That's what it means to take it up and to use it in our Christian lives. Number two, he talks about the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Of salvation. Paul doesn't say much about this, and so I'm not going to say much about the helmet except for one tremendously obvious point that is so easy to miss in this entire litany of armor, and that is you've already got the helmet of salvation. You have in your possession the helmet of God's salvation. Our fight with darkness. Our fight with the devil, our fight with spiritual forces of evil today and every waking hour of every day is not a fight for our salvation. We are not working our way through these spiritual forces so that we can come out on the other side and prove that we've been faithful and then maybe then God will see what we've done and how we fought and he will award us with salvation. No. He says, I'm going to give it to you now. I'm going to put it on you like a helmet and I'm going to send you into the fray. When Satan is beating us over the head with guilt and shame, that clanging sound you hear is your salvation. The fact that God has given it to you already, it is in your possession, and Satan has no power here. I have the helmet. I have salvation from God. And nothing can separate me from it. What is a helmet now in battle? 
will be fashioned into that crown on that great and glorious day in heaven. We've got a shield. We've got a helmet. He says in verse 17 and 18, we get a sword. Finally. We've been talking about defense. We've been talking about armor. Y'all get a weapon. You get something to swing at somebody. Verses 17 and 18 And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This probably uh, deserves a sermon on its own, but I love the intermingling, the, the interdependency of the word of God and prayer as those great offensive weapons of every believer in Christ. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, which inspires prayer in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our reading of our Bibles and our praying this word back to God in faith. I know that we often talk about reading and prayer as spiritual habits that we want to grow in, we want to make a plan for, which is true. I hope all of us are doing this personally. I hope we all do this with our family. What is this going to look like in the household that God has given me? I hope we figure this out as a habit, as a church, in our corporate life together. But while we're at war, when does Paul recommend that we avail ourselves to the spirit of word and prayer? He says, in all circumstances, at all times, with all prayer. Prayer and scripture are not last resorts in the battle. They're first resorts. That's like the first thing we do. Somebody comes and shares something with us. I'm struggling about that. We don't have the luxury to say, I'm going to pray with you later. I'm going to try to remember that when I get home. And I'll try to think to pray for you about that. No, no, no. This is war. We're fighting. We need to pray about this right now. Let me grab you, let's pray now that God will work. You're sharing that you're something you're struggling with? I'm availing myself to the word of God right now. I'm bringing this before us and saying, you know what? I read something in the word that, that fits exactly what you're talking about. Let me find it. Sit with me for a minute. I'm going to find this thing. We don't have time to send you away without a sword. I, I got to give you this passage now so that you have something to swing at the evil one. This is war, this is a fight, at all times, in every circumstance, with all prayer, we take up the word, we take up our invitation to go to God in prayer, that is our sword for the battle. These are God's gifts, he gives them to us to use. I want to close with an extended scene from Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you guys have heard of this book, read this book before. If you're not familiar with it, it is one of the most important books in the English language. It has also been translated into 200 other languages. It's huge. It was written by a pastor, John Bunyan, while he was in prison. And it's an allegory of the Christian life. So you've got this main character, Christian, and he's converted 
And then you watch him on his journey from where he came from to where he's going, the celestial city. And you watch him endure temptation. You watch him endure sin. You see him meet friends. You see him meet enemies. All of those are an allegory for what you and I experience on a regular basis in our Christian life. It's a very creative and beautiful description of our Christian walk. Well, As Christian is traveling through the valley of humiliation, he spies what he calls a foul fiend coming in his direction. The monster's name is Apollyon, like the Greek god Apollo, and he represents the devil. And Christian was marching on his path, and Apollyon is standing in his path, and he realizes that from me to the celestial city is through this monster that I won't want to face, and then he realizes something really important about the armor that God has given him, which every Roman soldier and every Christian will come to grips with, and that is for all this beautiful and effective armor that can withstand the evil one and the protection that we have in this battle We don't have anything for our backs. We got a breastplate. We got a shield. We got a helmet. We got shoes. But if we turn around and run from whence we came, there's no protection for us. And Christian realizes, I don't want to do this. This is the last thing I want to do. But God's calling me to stand And I'm going to stand right here. I want to read this conversation between Apollyon and Christian, which is a conversation that every one of us, in one way or another, is going to have with the devil. You may have had it already. You may have had it multiple times. You might be having it right now. This is what John Bunyan writes. Apollyon says to Christian when he meets him, Whence come you and whither are you bound? This is written 80 years after Shakespeare. He's saying, where'd you come from? Where are you going? Christian says, I am come from the city of destruction, which is the place of all evil, and I am going to the city of Zion. Apollyon says, by this I perceive thou art one of my subjects, For all that country is mine, how is it then that thou hast run away from thy king? Christian answers, I was born indeed in your dominions, but your service was hard, and your wages such as a man could not live on, for the wages of sin is death. Listen to this line. Apollyon says, there is no prince that will thus lightly lose his subjects. Neither will I as yet lose thee. Christian, but I have let myself to another, even to the king of kings. How can I with fairness go back with thee? Apollyon says to him, it's ordinary for those who have professed themselves his servants after a while to give him the slip and return again to me. Do thou so too, and all shall be well. And Christian says, I like his service, his wages, 
his servants, his government, his company, and country better than thine. Therefore, leave off to persuade me further. I am his servant. I will follow him. Then Apollyon broke out into a grievous rage, saying, I am an enemy to this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and people. Prepare thyself to die, for I swear by my infernal den that thou shalt go no farther. Here I shall spill thy soul. They fight. Christian is sorely wounded, but he resists. And just as James 4 promises, the devil flees from him. The strength is God's. The armor is God's. The righteousness and faith and truth and spirit are God's. But he is happy, ever so happy, to share the spoils of victory with his saints. Praise Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in you we will stand firm. In the Lord and in the strength of his might, putting on the whole armor of God. You've given it to us. Would we dress ourselves with it? Would we remember your promises associated to it? And will we stand firm for your glory and for your kingdom? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.